God, we're so grateful to you this morning for that truth. That you are a good, good Father. That you know everything that we need before we ever say a word. God, that song is so beautiful. It so incredibly paints a picture of your heart for us. God, would you join us here? Would you open our ears to hear the word that you have to say to us today? God, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So you're going to have to excuse me because I have a cold today. Um, And (laughs) I sang, and now I'm going to (laughs) preach. And so if I'm clearing my throat, you're just going to have to just like bear with me. I'm so sorry. Not my intention. Um, But before we start today, I just wanted to take a moment um, and be kind of vulnerable with you and level with you. Um, So I'm not sure exactly how much Pastor Lindsay shared, um, but two weeks ago I was in a car accident. um, And at first it was fine. You know, I slid on some ice, my car hit the curb really hard, so my wheel was a little out of place, but that was it. And in that process I um, rear-ended another lady. Dale is making fun of me, but that was after though. It was, it was a little after it was much worse. Whatever. Dale is just ruining my vulnerable moment here. Dale. Okay, great. <laughs> so I was in a car accident, um, and we were in the process of getting my car from that accident into a parking lot um, so that it wouldn't be, you know, in the way and that nobody would hit me. And I had just, uh, Dale had just tied the toe strap to the bottom front of my car. He had been underneath my car. Um, and we started to pull it, and I got out of my car because it was freaking me out. I needed somebody else to sit in the driver's seat. And as I stepped out of my car, I saw another car coming toward us. Um, and I tried to run, and I slipped on the ice, and I fell. Um, and so that car hit my car, and I knew that I was not in a good position. Um, and I don't know if any of you have ever been in, you know, kind of panic brain. Um, but panic brain isn't very logical, and in my mind, I thought I was going to die. Um, I said, surely this is not the position that I want to be in um, when a car is coming my way. <laughs> and I am scrambling, trying to get my grip on the ice, trying to move myself out of the way, and all I hear is the crunching of metal in my ears. Um, and I hear that car hit my car, and I know how hard I hit that curb, and so I knew how hard he was going to hit my car, and he hit me too. Um, and of course, like the hard-headed woman that I am, for those of you who know me, um, I popped right up after I said, I'm good, we're good, I'm fine, you know? I was sobbing, I was crying, I was terrified, um, because I thought that I was going to (laughs) die, and I popped up and I said, I'm fine, I'm fine, and I just burst into tears. Um, but I need you to know this, because this is where this sermon is coming from this morning. Um, having gone through that, where I didn't think I was going to walk away from that accident, it kind of changed things for me. Um, It changed my perspective on what we're doing here. It changed my perspective on my own call. And it certainly changed my perspective on my sense of purpose. And so before we start today, this is a freebie, and I just need you to know, every single one of us is here on purpose. Anchor, we are here on purpose. And if we are not living on purpose, that's our own fault. But it's not because the Lord hasn't put us here 
on purpose. After the accident, I thought of Dale just moments before underneath my car. And I thought of how on purpose his life is. And I hope that you feel that this morning. (laughs) Uh, Because that accident could have gone so much worse than it did. But I left that scene without a bruise on my body. I was in a little bit of pain, but my gosh, imagine what it could have been. So this morning, this sermon is coming out of that place. It's coming out of a burden and a passion that, man, I feel like has been lit on fire in me. Because I'm here on purpose, and our church is here on purpose. We are located where we are on purpose. It's not a mistake. And so we have to live that way. So we've been in a sermon series called I Am, where we're walking through the life of Jesus 90 days before he is crucified, killed, and resurrected. And it's been incredible for me. I don't know about for you, but I listened to Pastor Lindsay's sermon um, on the podcast from this last week, and it brought me to tears, thinking about how Jesus stood at the highest point in the city, and he surveyed all of the land in front of him, And Satan said, I will give this to you if you will bow to me. And Jesus said, no, I see something better. And he chose us rather than everything that he could gain from this world. And there is a lot to be gained in this world. But it's all temporary. And Jesus forsook that for you and for me. Man, that messed me up this week. (laughs) Man, I was just a mess and a wreck trying to sort through all of the stuff that has happened to me in the past two weeks, all of the stuff that's happened to our church in the past couple weeks. I think of Jackie and Melvin, and I think of them coming out of that accident relatively unharmed for what they went through, a car rollover. I think of all of the sickness that's represented in our church. I think of Shirley not being here for months because she had an accident. I think about the attack on our church and man to think that Jesus' love for us was so great that he saw all that he could gain in this world, but he still chose us. That's beautiful. And this morning, we're going to be talking about somebody else who had an incredible and a beautiful encounter with Jesus. We're going to be talking about Simon Peter his call to ministry, his call to follow Jesus. But before we get there, we have to unpack a pretty important idea. Um, See, so after where Lindsay stopped last week was that Jesus had gone through the temptation uh, from Satan where he was walking in the wilderness and where all of these things came up and he had a choice to make. Am I going to live for myself or am I going to live for a greater purpose? Am I going to live out the plan that the Lord has set before me? Am I going to live out my call? And he chose right. Thankfully for us, (laughs) he didn't succumb to any of that. He chose right. And what happens right after that is that he goes back to where he's from. He goes back to Galilee. And along the way, he is preaching and teaching and he's healing. He's healing people. And so we see Simon Peter, right? So it's kind of like this. Like Jesus is walking along the road, preaching, teaching, but he's also preaching in synagogues, which are essentially our today version of churches, right? So he's going all about the land that he was from. Um, And people are inviting him to to lunch after church, 
You know how you do? You invite the pastor to lunch after church. People are doing that to Jesus. Okay, and then this one day, Simon Peter, who we'll talk about, we'll get to his story in a second, but Simon Peter invites him to lunch. And so they're walking down the road, and he says, you know, um, kind of an ulterior motive here. Uh, my mother-in-law is really sick. You know, we, th- we think she's going to die. And I know that you've been healing people, and so I'm just wondering if, like, maybe you could, like, do me a solid, Jesus. You know, like, after I bought lunch, you know, could you, like, heal my mother-in-law? Um, and this story happens in Luke 4, if you're interested in reading that one. Right, and so Jesus does. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and this is the first witness that Simon Peter has. Right, he sees Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He sees, her, he sees him heal her from the brink of death from a fever that would have taken her life, that would have consumed her, he sees her come back. Okay, and this happens on the Sabbath. And I need you to just tuck that away. I know all of us have that little, you know, uh, what's it called, filing cabinet in our brains where we keep little information that our pastor tells us to tuck away. Put this there. Okay, this happened on the Sabbath. And that's relevant to another story that we'll talk about down the road. Okay, but in Jewish traditional culture, that's kind of a no-no, you know, because the priests, they considered that work, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. He healed her on the Sabbath, and so it's kind of like a a hush deal. You know, it's kind of like one of those things that, like, we're not supposed to talk about in public, but it did happen, but uh, not in front of the, you know, company. Okay, so right after he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, we see this in Luke 4, verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Let's read that again. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. And that doesn't sound very significant to us, other than the fact that he was healing. But that phrase, laying his hands on them, he healed them. That is significant. And I'll tell you why. Because the first century Jewish culture equated sin with sickness. And so if somebody had an ailment, a broken leg even, it's because they were sinful. It's because there was some kind of sin in their lives that caused them to break their leg. It's because there was some kind of sin in their lives that manifested itself in leprosy. And so these people were untouchable. Have you ever gotten a paper cut? Could you imagine an isolated culture where you get a paper cut and suddenly people are looking at your life and saying, hmm, I wonder what sin is going on behind closed doors. And so it's significant that Jesus is touching people. Because they believed that to touch a person who was sick would transfer their sickness and their sin to you. So I couldn't help my mother. She was sick because I didn't want to be unclean. I didn't want to be sinful. I didn't want to get sick myself. And so picture what this image is saying to these people. That Jesus of Nazareth is touching people. And not only are they coming away healed, he isn't leaving sick. That's incredible. And I wonder if this Jesus of Nazareth can touch the sick and not become sick, 
what that means about him and sin. And I wonder if this means that he has something to do with my relationship with God. See, this is incredible. It's revolutionary. Because the people at the time believed that God distanced himself from sin. They believed that he kept himself away because he didn't want to deal with their sin. But rather than playing into this cultural idea, Jesus, just like we talked about last week, he flips it upside down. And he says, actually, being a sinner is a prerequisite of following me. Actually, I am so unafraid of your sickness, I am so unafraid of your sin that I will walk across the room and I will lay my hands on you and I will heal you. God is so unafraid of your sickness, of your sin, that I can walk away clean. See, Jesus comes and he introduces this idea that being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from being a follower of Christ. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from the love of God. In fact, being a sinner is a prerequisite to following Jesus. And we know how far, we've seen this picture before of the temple, we know exactly how the people of this time separated themselves from sin. There will be a picture eventually, you'll see. You know, the Holy of Holies, we've talked about this, that only once a year could a priest enter the very center, and the Holy of Holies was, was surrounded by the court of the priests. God was so far removed from his people and so far removed from sin that it's no wonder people believe this. And these priests, they kept themselves away from the people that God loved, and Jesus said, that's not right. Jesus said, your sin doesn't scare me. Your sickness is not enough to keep me away. And in fact, in another place in Scripture, he even says, I came for the sick. He flipped it upside down. And so we're talking about Simon Peter today, but I need you to keep this in mind because it's so important to the end of Simon Peter's story. And I know that many of you have heard this story, Simon Peter's call, from the version of Matthew, and I'll read that to you in a second, and then I'll explain why we're not using that version today. <laughs> okay, so Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is one place that this story is found. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. All of that makes sense. Good, we're tracking Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. What? <laughs> That's a little random. Okay. <laughs> At once they left their nets and followed him. <laughs> Extreme. Okay. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. So getting ready to work, in other words, getting ready for the fishing ahead. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. I know that some of you have heard pastors preach from this specific version of the story. I know some of you have heard guilt-ridden sermons that say, if you don't have faith like this, do you have faith at all? And I would say that that's not right. See, Matthew was preaching and teaching to a people. He wrote this letter to a people who would have understood the implications in this story, who, who saw Jesus as Messiah, who were looking for a Savior and who already had some context 
for what this story could mean. We're going to read this story out of Luke today. And Luke doesn't contradict anything that Matthew says. In fact, he confirms a lot of what Matthew says. But Luke was writing to a people like us. Luke was writing to a people who don't come from a Jewish faith background or tradition, who aren't looking to the skies for a savior, even though they need one. Luke is writing to people like you and like me. And so let's read this story from Luke's perspective. So Jesus is walking and talking with the people and they're following him and they're listening to him. And we get to this place in Luke 5. Verse 1 says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And the lake of Gennesaret is just another word for the Sea of Galilee. Just so you have some context as to where we are geographically, you can ground yourselves, pinpoint yourself there on the shore. Sea of Galilee. And this first verse is incredibly important. We, we skip over this part. The people are listening to the teaching of Jesus. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they are all faithful followers dedicated to Christ. It says they're listening to this man teach. And this is where we get the first basis of our working definition of faith. Because in the Christian faith, it is an informed decision that brings you to faith. It is after listening and hearing what the Lord has to say that you make that decision. So there's this pastor named Andy Stanley, and I really love him, and he he says this about this topic. He says, you become a Christian by faith. You did not become a Christian because of faith. You become a Christian by faith. You do not become a Christian because of faith. Following Jesus does not begin with faith. It does not begin with belief. Instead, it begins with listening. And so these people are listening to the teaching of Jesus. They're listening to see if there's merit. They're listening to see if he is somebody trustworthy enough for them to follow. And that is our definition of faith today. It's an informed decision. I am listening to the Lord. I'm absorbing what he has to say, and I'm making a decision based off of that. And I'll say this, if, if you're involved in anything where you can't ask questions, you should probably check out something else. You know, if, you're, if your home church is a church where you can't ask questions about Jesus and you can't ask questions about what the pastor is preaching, you need to leave. Because the Christian faith tradition has its roots in listening, in asking questions, in weighing a decision. And that's just verse 1. We could go home. You know, we could never talk about Simon Peter and we could leave with that. We won't. Just a heads up, there's more. (laughs) But that's just verse 1. Let's look at verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats, Jesus, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this group of fishermen who were washing their nets included Simon Peter, whose mother-in-law Jesus had already healed, 
So he already had some kind of working knowledge of who this man Jesus is. And I'm sure that as they're washing their nets, you know, taking out the beer cans and the shoes that they found at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, that they're listening along with the rest of this crowd, that they're hearing the teaching of Jesus, that they're seeing him just interact with this huge crowd of people. And Scripture tells us that eventually this huge crowd of people had backed Jesus' heels right up to the shoreline, that lapping at his heels as he was teaching was the water. And Jesus says, there's nowhere for me to go. And so he climbs on Simon Peter's boat. See, and this is, this is really the beginning of Simon Peter's story. Because Simon Peter had been listening to the teaching of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, hey, will you put out a little bit from shore? He says, yeah, I can do that. He says, I see that you've got a crowd here and the people in the back can't really hear you that well, so yeah, I can do that. And Jesus continues to teach the people from Simon Peter's boat. Verse 4, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. When he had finished speaking. In other words, after Simon Peter had heard him teaching for quite a time. When he was done, then Jesus asked him to put down his nets. After he had already seen the miraculous healing of his mother-in-law, then Jesus asks him, Simon Peter, lower your nets. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now the first part of this, honestly, if you're Peter, what are you thinking? You're thinking, who is this carpenter? You know, you, you get on my boat without permission, and you ask me to put out from shore, and Jesus, that's fine. I owe you that much because you healed my mother-in-law. It's fine. You know, I can do that much for you, but now you're asking me to row out into water after I've caught nothing all night long, and this is my profession, now you, some carpenter, are asking me to put out my nets in the wrong place in the lake at the wrong time of day. Where do you get off? You know, if that were me, that's what I would be asking. And notice the word that he uses here for Jesus. He says, master. What do we know about that word? If somebody called you master today, what would you think? Like, sure, I guess it's respectful, but... It's a little bit cold, isn't it? A little bit distant, like, okay, sure thing, bud. Sure thing, pal. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can do that, I guess. <laughs> Master, right? Respectful, but distant. But he says, but because you say so, I will let down the net. And this is the real test of the story for people like us. This is really where it starts to get gritty. Right? Because you have said so, I will let down the nets. See, maybe you're here this morning and your faith just feels dry. You're tired of the same old sermons and you're tired of the same lessons and you're tired of the same prayers and you're tired of being held accountable by the same people. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know if you have faith anymore. You know, I've been 
walking the walk and talking the talk, but I just am not feeling it. I show up, but because I have to. I show up to avoid a phone call in the middle of the week from my pastor saying, hey, are you okay? I show up so I don't have to answer questions. And if that's you this morning, then this sermon is for you. Then this story is for you. Because here is Peter, and he says, you know, because you said so, I'll do it. You notice what he doesn't say. Because you healed my mother-in-law, I will do it. Because of what I've heard you teach, I will do it. He says, because you say so. Have you ever heard a kid say that to you? I guess I'll do it because you said so. Have you ever said that as a parent? Why can't I do that? Because I said so. You know, it's not necessarily the, the most, I don't know, grateful response. <laughs> it's not a fun thing to hear from people. It's kind of begrudging. See, but I would say this, that Peter had no way of knowing how his life would change by just a simple yes to Jesus. Jesus or Peter had no way of knowing what he would become by simply saying yes to taking Jesus fishing. This is before Peter, foundation of the church. This is before Peter, rock, and author of letters that are in our Bible. This is before Peter, who cut off a guy's ear in defense of Jesus. This is before Peter had any idea what his life could look like. Peter had no idea what hung in the balance when he said, but because you say so, I will. And I would say that we're in the same boat with Peter. That some of us are sitting here and we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our yes. We have no idea what the Lord has in store for our lives. We have no idea the lost relationships that could happen if we don't say yes. Did you know that Pastor Lindsay was my youth pastor? Did you know that growing up, she was one of the women who spoke into my life and who challenged me in my call? And can you imagine what would have happened had Pastor Lindsay said no? We wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of our yes. Verse 6. When they had done so, when they had let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boats so full, two boats, that they began to sink. When they had done so, action, when they had taken the step, because listening is never enough of a response to Jesus. It is never enough to hear what he has to say to you and to not take that step. When they had done so, their nets 
began to break from the amount of fish that they had caught. If you're Peter, what's your next move? Well, thank you so much, Jesus. I'd like to hire you full-time with benefits. I'd like to contact your parents and say, I don't know what's in your genes, but we need more. <laughs> right? I'd be, I'd be climbing up that tree. I'd say, we are rich. We don't have to work forever. But that's not what he says. And truthfully, I laugh at that, and I joke about it, but that's probably not how I would have responded. I think I would have responded how Peter does. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. See, he's, he's seen Jesus heal. And he's heard Jesus teach. And that was one thing. But now he's looking into the face of a man who seems to have control over nature. And that scares his pants off. His toga. I don't know what fishermen of the day wore. You know, not privy to their fashion. He looks him in the eyes and he says, Because God distances himself from sin and now I know who you are you have to go he says get away from me Lord did you notice that title change it goes from master respectful but distant to Lord which is a title of honor and ownership Lord get away from me but we already talked about this, didn't we? This is the thing that Jesus came to turn on its head, to say, no, that's opposite. That God loves people so much that their sin doesn't scare him. And so can you imagine Jesus' face in this moment as he, he sees Peter recognize who he is for the first time? And can you imagine the smile on his face because Peter gets it? And what Peter doesn't know is that really in that exclaim that I am a sinful man, that that is a rallying cry for us. But it's actually an invitation to come closer. Lord, I am a sinful woman. Please come closer. Peter had no idea what hung in the balance of his yes. I want you to close your eyes and picture Jesus' smile as he says this next thing. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And can you hear the smile in Jesus' voice? Peter, don't be afraid. You get it now. Don't be afraid. I am near to you, and I'm not stepping foot off this boat because, Peter, I have a plan for you. Peter, your sin doesn't scare me. I already knew that. Peter, now you can fish for people. That's incredible. And I would say that some of you need to hear that this morning. God is not afraid of you. He has a plan for you. And as dry as your faith may feel in this moment, God's not afraid of that. He says, come closer to me, O sinner. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, 
They left everything, and they followed him. And wouldn't you have? Wouldn't you have followed Jesus in that moment? And can you hear the cries of Zebedee? Have fun, boys. See ya. Follow him. Do whatever he says, because we know who he is. Can you hear the excitement in that departure? Dad, we found him. Dad, it's Jesus. Dad, this is our Savior. And Zebedee would have been on his own boat like, that's fine, I can handle the fish. You go do what he has asked you to do. And suddenly that story makes more sense. Makes more sense to us that they followed him, that they left everything because they had not only heard what he had to say, they had not only seen him heal, they had seen a miracle, but what was the most miraculous of all is that they looked into the face of God and they said, Lord, I am a sinner. And he didn't turn away. The most miraculous part of this story happens in a humble moment where Peter is crouched down before the feet of Jesus. But that's exactly where we need to be. And so for those of you who are struggling this morning, you know, you say, that's a beautiful story and I can definitely understand why they would follow him and, and I totally get it now. You know, but, but if Jesus would do something like that for me, then I would follow him like that. If Jesus would do something like that for me, then I could get behind it. But he hasn't. Pastor Valerie, he hasn't done something like that for me. He hasn't sunk my boat with a fish load. You know, because that I can understand. You know what I think Peter would say to you? I think Peter would say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Have you read the letters that I wrote to you? Have you read what I have to say? Have you read what I have seen? And I think that he might read to us from one of those letters, and so I'm going to. 1 Peter chapter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Are you kidding me? On this side of the crucifixion, you still have questions about who Jesus is. I think he would say, I was there. I was there on the day when our Savior hung from a cross. I was there and look what he says. While he was hanging on that cross, dying a painful sinner's death, this beautiful, sinless man, he didn't yell like everyone else did. He didn't curse the world. He didn't curse the people who were mocking him. He didn't turn his back on the people who had hung him there. I watched him die, and he didn't threaten anyone. He just took our sin. I watched the physical weight of our sin on his body and he didn't scream out for death. He took it in humble silence. 
You don't know what I have seen. And it's by his wounds that you are healed, but still you don't believe. See, I think what Peter would say is, Jesus did something fishy for me, but what he did for you, that was everything. He died for you. And I just want to take this moment to point out that, man, in that moment when Jesus was asking things of Peter, that's not the moment that Peter asked him to walk on water, is it? That comes later. That's the moment where where Jesus said to Peter, I know you can do this much. Will you put out a little from shore and will you let down your net? That's all I'm asking, Peter. See, our steps toward Jesus, they're little. And he works with us and he knows our hearts. So anchor this morning, what is it that Jesus has been asking you to do? that you have been talking yourself out of for this reason or the other. You said, I can't do that, Jesus. It's too big a step. Can I be honest with you? It's never too big a step. Because Jesus speaks a language that we can understand. And he says to the fishermen, put out a little from shore and let down your net. What is it that you have been putting off doing, but that you gotta do. Where is your purpose?